Well, amen. It's good to be with you once again. We praise God for your faithfulness tonight and for your desire for the Word of God. There's probably a lot of places you could be, but uh, you've chosen the best place in the house of God tonight, and God will honor that. Uh, We've been, uh, well, if you look, uh, well, we did Sunday morning, the Great Commission Sunday, and that was getting gospel tracts out, and then the Bible Transformation Revival just speaking on the Word of God and uh, what it can do for my life and what it can do for your life. And the Word of God is, is powerful. We've quoted uh, three references and verses on that, Hebrews 4.12, Isaiah 55.11, and 1 Thessalonians 2.13. We shared those with you, I think maybe in both uh, Sunday School and Preaching Service. But tonight, um, I want to... Take a look at the power of God's Word. And then I would ask it in a question, is God's Word powerful in your life? Is it powerful in your life? You know, it's powerful, and we'll see that, but it can be powerful in each of our lives. Would you join with me in prayer before we look at the Word? Father in heaven, we pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds to see Lord, who you are, to see your power, to see your word, Lord God. The Bible says that your word has said that you have exalted your word above your very name. And Lord God, we know that your name is highly exalted, but yet you're a God of your word. And Lord, we're thankful for that, that what you say, there's no ifs, ands, buts about it, it will come to pass. Or if it hasn't already, certainly it will. And if it uh, was spoken and, Lord, it was to come to pass, it did, just as you said. And so, Father, we're thankful for your word. And we pray that you'd help us to make it a, a big part, a big part of our lives, that we might be strong in you and in the power of your might. And we'll thank you. Bless your people, Lord God. I'm thankful for each one that's here And those who have joined us online as well, may you encourage and strengthen our hearts this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to take your Bibles, and we're going to start at the very beginning, Genesis chapter number 1. Genesis chapter number 1. You know, God's Word is powerful. God's Word is powerful. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. Amen. And I think by the time we finish this message tonight, these are things... Probably that many of you know, but uh, also maybe uh, be encouraged with the fact that you'll just see once again, new and afresh, how powerful the Word of God is. Look with me in uh, Genesis chapter number 1, and then uh, we could even go into, we'll read uh, just a verse in chapter 2 as well. Uh, can anybody tell me chapter 1, what is this chapter known as, the chapter of... Creation, that's right, creation. Uh, Look with me, if you would, at verse number 3. What are the uh, first three words there? And God said. How about verse 6? Yeah, the first three words. How about verse 9? Verse 11? This is the Word of God speaking here. God's Word. How about verse 14? How about verse uh, verse 20? 
about verse 24? How about verse 25? Okay, I, that wasn't in my sermon. I just wanted to see if you guys were paying attention or you were just uh, repeating that phrase. How about verse 26? And God said, see, I stumped some of you there a little bit. But, you know, this is creation. It talks about the six days of creation. God rested on the seventh. Uh, we could read Genesis 1.31 again. It says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And verse number one of chapter two, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And God God made everything in six days. I mean, it's not like the evolutionists will tell you. I mean, I don't know. I, I, was, I remember when I was a senior at Rhodes High School in Cleveland that there was me, there was another fellow named Scott, and we went up to the um, the teacher afterwards, and they were talking about evolution, and we said, well, you know, talk to and confront them with about creation, creationism. And, you know, I think if I remember correctly, he said, well, you know, those were probably, you know, not real 24-hour days, that those were eons of time or something like that. And uh, yet, you know, in other portions of Scripture, it speaks the same word, and it's, 24-hour day, it's a day, it's a night. And, you know, I remember speaking of that and talking to him about that. And, you know, you can, um, you know, I'm not, I, I enjoyed science when I was in school. Anybody ever heard of the second law of thermodynamics? I think they call it the law of entropy. And what that is saying that everything is tending to a state of disorder and breaking down, not building up. In other words, if I was... Uh, how many of you have ever built a puzzle before? How many of you like building puzzles? Do you? Uh, you know, I... Uh, well, I probably I won't take time to tell you my last puzzle that I built. Well, I build them with the grandkids sometimes. But anyways, uh, you know, if I was to take a puzzle up here, even... Just a hundred piece puzzle. And it was in a box and I would throw that up in the air and they would fall down to the floor. How many years do you think it would take for that puzzle to assemble itself? Well, I think I'd, I think I'd, you know, I, I think I'd still be there. I mean, in other words, you know, that's, and that's what evolutionists will do. They'll say, all these, all these years, but you can, I could do something like that for eternity and it's not going to assemble itself together. I mean, you have to push the pieces in and put them together and yet even just one cell, it's not a hundred pieces, it's not a thousand pieces, it's even just millions of, of things that go together to have to go together perfect, much less a person or a, even a little ant or a bug. I mean, it's, it's amazing God's creation and the power of it. Let me, let me, uh, just give you a little thought here about the universe. You know, they say that the observable universe, and that's observable by man, is 93 billion light years. 93 billion light years across. 
In our galaxy, the Milky Way, that's not a candy bar, Brother Cusick, all right? That's, um, that's our galaxy, um, is just 100,000 light years in diameter. And so they're saying that the whole universe is 93 billion light years. A light year is the miles that light would travel in one year's time. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So a light year would be, in other words, the distance that light would travel in one year's time would be five, let's see, billion, five, five trillion eight hundred seventy nine billion miles. And our minds can't really comprehend that. Or about 63,265 times to go to the sun from the earth. It would take us endless generations just to explore explore our galaxy, let alone the universe. And they say that the biggest thing that we have discovered so far in our universe is the Hercules Corona Borealis Great Wall, it's a supercluster which has a diameter of around 10 billion light years. Another structure is the galaxy supercluster known as the Hyperion supercluster. And this celestial object has more than four quadrillion solar masses. Psalm 147.4 says, He telleth the number of the stars, he calleth them all by their names. So we see just our, uh, and that's only our observable universe. God, you know, knows the extent of it. I hear some people say it's infinite. I, you know, only God knows that. You know, for me, it would be hard to comprehend that something like that would be infinite, but it's hard for me to comprehend that God always has been and always will be. So again, I don't put anything you know, past God Almighty. I mean, He can do all things. But, but the fact is, is that God spoke. God spoke and the power of His Word created all those things. And so we see His power in creation. We see His power and reliability of His Word at Jericho. And we're just going to look at several Things here in the scriptures. Look at Joshua chapter 6, if you would. Book of Joshua chapter number 6. You know, God's word is given for a battle strategy. And there's never been a battle plan like this before or after. Look at Joshua chapter 6 and verse number 2. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor, and ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days, and seven priests shall bear seven, uh, shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priest shall blow with the trumpets, and it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people that ascend up every man straight, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. That was the battle strategy. That was God's word. You know what Joshua did? 
He says, guys, he says, we're going to walk around Jericho once for six days. Shh, don't say anything. And we know that, we know that the men were out there walking around. I said the men were out there walking around. The women weren't out there, by the way. It might have been hard to, you know, keep that. <laughs> but anyways, we, uh, I love you, Regina. God bless you. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, the, the fact is, is that they did it just as God said. Seventh day, they went out seven times around, and guess what? The walls came tumbling down. You know, I was reading some archaeological studies on that, and they believed that they found the walls of Jericho. And they said that they were just sort of laid down flat. They actually said that there were, what they said, there were two walls. There was one that was about 30 feet thick and, and, or, uh, and about... Um, 30 feet high, and then there was a moat, and there was another wall about 15 feet thick and about 30 feet high. No wonder they thought it was impenetrable. No way to get in. But you know, God didn't even have to move a little baby finger. He could have just stayed in heaven, and however he did it, I don't know, he could have just spoke the word, and boom, it was down. I mean, God's word is powerful, and they got a great victory that day. We see the power and authority of God's promise through, uh, look with me in 2 Chronicles 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I love this, this story here of, um, of the children of Israel and of Jehoshaphat. And we see that um, in chapter number 20, it says the children of Moab in verse 1, the children of Ammon, uh, uh, the Ammonites, they came to battle against Jehoshaphat, and they weren't too far away. I think it was 20, 25 miles of that. And they heard that this great multitude was coming against them. Verse 3, it says, And Joshua, uh, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. I mean, they were, they thought we're in trouble. We're in trouble. You know, we're going to seek God, though. And they all gathered together. And then if you look at verse number 14, we see that God gives Jehaziel his word. In verse 14, Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation, and he said, he's delivering God's word to him. He says, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you. You know, we'll see throughout the Scriptures, whether it's the, the here Jehaziel is prophesying, we see uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, whenever God gave him a word, that was just as valid as the word we hold here. Now, we have the completed word of God He's given to us. Praise God for that. But but when those men spoke and they said, Thus saith the Lord, and they were speaking in the name of God, I guarantee you those words were powerful, and everything they said came to pass just as God gave it to them. Or it will come to pass if it's prophecy that has not been fulfilled. But Jehaziel said this, 
Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Aren't you glad that uh, when we're in a battle, that it's not really, a, if we're a believer, if we're walking with Jesus Christ, and we love Him, as Romans 8.28 speaks of, that it's not our battle, it's God's battle. God's fighting for us. God's with us. And He can give us grace and strength and give us the victory. So He says um, uh, unto them, He says, um, verse 16, Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before excuse me, the wilderness of Jeruel. He says, ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. And he speaks further there, but he gives them a battle strategy. He says, hey, don't take swords with you. You're not going to have to fight. This is Jehaziel who's delivering God's word. You know, they had a choice. They had a choice. They could say, Lord, I believe your word. You've given our our prophet here, Jehaziel, your word, and we believe it, and we're going to act upon it. Or, oh, I don't know about that. We're going against a strong army. Maybe we ought to just hide our spears, you know, in back of our, you know, selves, and just in case, you know, that God can't do what he said he's going to do. Or were they going to trust him? You know, Jehoshaphat got together and he said, hey, we, we need some singers. We need some singers. We're going to have uh, folks singing as we go into, if you look down in, oh, um, uh, well, in verse 20, it says, They rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe as prophets, so shall ye prosper. And they consulted in verse 21. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord and, and that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And it says, And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. I mean, they didn't even have to fight. I mean, the word of God was spoken. Were they going to believe it? Praise God that Jehoshaphat and the children of Israel did. You and I have a choice. We have promises in the word of God. Are we going to believe those? Are we going to trust those for, oh yeah, you know, pastor, you know, those are good for pastor, you know, he'll, those are, you know, uh, those are good for him, but I don't know about me. No, they're good for you. They're good for you. You you name the name of Jesus Christ. You know him personally. Those promises are for you. And you can claim those promises. And we can look at some of those. But here we see that uh, faith in God's word demonstrated by obedience to God's word leads to victory. I believe uh, as you read uh, through here, it took them... Um, they came and they took the spoils. It was so much that it says uh, they were three days in gathering of the spoil. I mean, a wonderful victory there that God gave them. They believed the word of God. 
You know, we see the power, the power and assurance of God's word is given to Jeremiah. Look with me, if you would, at Jeremiah 28. And we're just skimming the surface here this evening. Jeremiah chapter 28. But you know, God's word is powerful and God's word is certain. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. When God speaks, you know, it used to be when I was a kid, you know, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Well, when God speaks, people would be real wise to listen. Real wise. Jeremiah chapter 28. And actually, uh, the phrase I think I mentioned yesterday, the phrase, saith the Lord... And Jeremiah spoke almost all of those. Appears 327 times in the book of Jeremiah. Sayeth the Lord. There's, uh, what is there? Uh, should have that down, but, uh, let's see, there's, um, fifty-two chapters. Fifty-two chapters in, in Jeremiah. And so divide that in, you get a little over six per chapter times where it says, saith the Lord, or thus saith the Lord. And it was mostly spoken by Jeremiah, although there was um, a gentleman here in chapter 28. Look at uh, verse number 10. It says, Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and break it. And Hananiah spake in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Now remember, Jeremiah was speaking uh, to the children of Israel and said, Hey, you're going to be destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar's coming and he's going to have the victory over us. We've forsaken God. We've turned our backs on God. We're not walking with God. And Jeremiah, you know, just preached to him. And here's Hananiah. He comes and says, oh, no. Thus saith the Lord. Two years, the, the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar is going to be broken from all nations. It says Jeremiah went his way. Verse 12, then the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the prophet. After that, Hanani the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, go and tell Hananiah, saying, thus saith the Lord, thou hast broken the yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him, and I have given him the beast of the field also. Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. Verse 17, so Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. I mean, he, he said, yeah, this is what God says. And, you know, I'm thankful. Uh, we look at the prophets and God spoke in different ways then. 
You know, in Hebrews it says, God, who in sundry times and divers manners spake unto us by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by Jesus Christ. And he's given us a completed word. So we don't need anybody saying, hey, I have a new prophecy. We have the completed word of God. So, you know, this was a a different day and age, and, and, you know, God was working different then, but... You know, so you might say, oh, Brother Stover, I heard somebody on YouTube or the Internet or TV saying, thus saith the Lord, you know. I'm going to give you a prophecy. Well, I have all that I need right here. Every prophecy, every thought from God, I have it right here in the Word of God, the completed Word of God. But nevertheless, we see that in those days, Jeremiah was a mouthpiece for God. And everything Jeremiah said when he said, thus saith the Lord, even the death of this man, Hananiah, he died that same year. And so we see the power, once again, of God's Word. The power of God's Word to save the lost. You know, just in our family devotion time, uh, oh, let's see, I'd have to look here in the back of my Bible. I just started writing these down. It was uh, October 31st, uh, 2019 or 2023. Uh, we started reading the book of Jonah, and there was only a few chapters in it, so uh, we finished it pretty quickly. But, you know, the power of God's word to save the precious souls at Nineveh. Again, Jonah comes there, and, and he had to be dealt with. He had to be chastened. He had to be, you know, some feel that Jonah might have even died, and God brought him back to life. It says that the weeds were wrapped about him. He went down to the bottoms of the mountains. I don't, you know, I don't know how all that worked, but I know the whale came and sucked him up. He must have, that whale must have thought, man, this guy tastes horrible. Yeah, I like fish better than this old Jonah, you know. But you know, God had a plan. God had a plan, and Jonah uh, repented. And he turned and he went to Nineveh and he preached just a brief message. In 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Man, I mean, the word of God convicted those folk. So, so uh, I mean, the whole city, even to the point where the king himself, who was very proud, I mean, you'd have to read about Nineveh. They were very wicked. I mean, they would go into a city and they would... Um, Take the heads of the people and stack them up in big heaps at the, at the entry gate to just let people know, hey, we are in charge, we are in control, we are the, you know, almighty nation. And, you know, that's probably one reason why Jonah thought, man, just, just destroy him, God. Destroy him. Or just knock him off the face of the earth. Don't give him a chance. But God was merciful, wasn't he? Aren't you glad God's merciful? You know, if it wasn't for His mercy, I wouldn't be here today. Who knows where I'd be? Wasn't for His grace, His love. Thank God for His wonderful salvation. I mean, it's praise God and just just exalt Him. But we see that you know the Lord reached down and He saved those folks at Nineveh. You know, in the last verse, I believe it is, it says, and talks about much cattle, but he says there's six score, that's 120,000, 
There's six score thousand people in this city that don't know their right hand from their left hand. You know, I've heard different thoughts on that. You know, they say, well, there are 120,000 little kids that, you know, didn't know their right hand from their left hand. And that very well could have been. If that was the case, it's probably, you know, over a million people there, I would say. But, you know, the Bible doesn't tell specifically. Maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe talking spiritually, I don't know. But nevertheless, you know, there was a lot of people there. There was a lot of people there. And God saved them because they repented and they turned to the Lord and asked for His mercy. He didn't even offer it in the message. But yet, yet God's powerful word convicted and saved them. I think of uh, God's, uh, the power of God's word to save 3,000 on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter number 2. You know, just, uh, you know, people had crucified the Lord Jesus and, and Peter and the, uh, folks in the upper room, the 120 there, and they were praying and seeking the Lord and, and 10 days and they tarried and the Spirit of God came upon them and he went out preaching the word and God gave them utterance in different languages and they preached the word in others' languages. I know, Missionaries would be glad to have that, um, you know, that gift to be able to just, boom, just speak in a language. I know Robert, they took, uh, he had studied Spanish some before he went to Peru, but then when they went there, I forget if they were six months or a year, and they were had a personal tutor and just learning the language so that they could communicate with the Spanish people. And now he gets accused of being uh, an Argentinian because the Peruvians are darker in complexion than the Argentinians are, and he's, you know, has like a suntan somewhat. But um, they say, "Man, you must be from Argentina." He speaks so well. We we had him when he was up here, not this last time. I think it was maybe the time or two before. There were some Spanish-speaking folks in our area, and we knew them. They were working in the fracking industry. So I said, "Hey, Robert, come on over and talk to these folks in Spanish." He went over and he started to converse with him. And the one guy, Daniel, he says, man, you speak. And he told him in Spanish. I couldn't understand. But Robert told me later, he says, hey, uh, you speak better Spanish than I do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I tried to do some of that. He says, Dad, you have to roll your R's. Roll my R's. Okay, I'll put a big R on something, put it in a jar, and I'll roll it. You know, what am I, you know, roll my R's, yeah. But anyways, you know, uh, God gave them utterance in other languages. And they preached and 3,000 were not only saved, but they followed the Lord in believers' baptism, the power of the Word of God. I mean, the same people that were had said, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. Those were the same people that their hearts were convicted. And they told Peter, they said, sir, what, what shall we do? What shall we do? The Spirit of God was convicting them. And thank God for their salvation. Not too long after that, in Acts chapter 4, the power of God's Word to save about 5,000 men as they heard and believed God's Word. Just a, a powerful demonstration of the Word of God to save. You know, I think of God's uh, power to convict folks. And, you know, think of your own life. You know, how that the Word of God came to you and the Spirit of God spoke to you and you believed it. You received it. You said, 
I, I must be saved. I think of George Whitfield. His testimony was after reading a gospel tract, he said, after I read that tract, I knew that I either needed to be saved or I would be damned. I'd be sent to hell. And I trust that Christ is my Savior. George Whitfield. And so the Spirit of God and the power of God, no doubt, can work in a very definite and, and powerful way. You know, I think of, um, you know, just, just folks who, who, are steeped in sin and God reaches them and they come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. You know, the power of God's Word to make disciples and sanctify the Christian. You know, look with me in the book of Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, if you would. Acts chapter 6 and verse number... Well, okay. Make disciples. Oh, there I am. I'm in chapter 5. I was reading about... uh, And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. Wow, that's that's not what we're looking for. Chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly... And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. What does it say there, that first phrase? And the word of God increased. The word of God had power to see folks come to know Christ and make disciples of them. I think of the the power of God's word in the lives of the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter number 19. Think about your own life. Think about how God has saved you and how God has changed your heart and life. In Acts 19, and look at uh, verse number um, 14, it says, And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which uh, did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are ye? This man wanted to try to cast out demons like Paul did. In verse 16, the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds Many of them also which use curious arts, witchcraft, Ouija boards, you know, whatever, use curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. God's word. Doing a work in people's heart. They saying, you know, we're, we're, we don't need this this foolishness. We don't need this wickedness. We don't need this witchcraft. We don't need this stuff that is, is of the devil. We wanna, we wanna live for Christ. We want our lives to count for Him. And so think about it. Um, you know, after each of these points, we could say, 
And God's word can be powerful in your life. God's word can be powerful in your life. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, if you would. Hebrews chapter number 3. Verse number 16, Hebrews 3.16, it says, For some, when they had heard, they uh, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Talking about when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. It says, Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? He says, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Verse number 2, it says, For unto us was the gospel priest as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The key here is that we have to mix the word of God with faith. We have to believe it. We have to trust it. Not for mom or dad, not for our spouse. I mean, certainly we can know that they can... uh, believe in it and trust it and receive it as such, not necessarily for our children, but uh, we have to believe it and have faith in the Word of God for ourselves. It's not mixed with faith. And so we have to believe the Word of God. But before you believe it, you know what? You have to know it. You have to know the promises. You have to know what God has in store for us as believers. You know, whatever the promise is, I mean, you know, say, man, I'm, I'm, I, I just can't take another step. I can't go another, uh, another day like this. How about the promise? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Lay hold on that promise. You know, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's something else that you're going through in your life that's hard and difficult. Look to the Lord. Trust Him. Claim a promise. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Let it sink in. James 4, 8, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word, thy word, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lord willing, tomorrow we're going to look closer at, at that. And uh, But we see that, that God's Word is powerful. Is it powerful in your life? It can be. Let's bow our heads, if we would, please, as we go to the Lord in prayer.